I watched Mighty Mouse, which makes me one of the ten people that did proving right. fighting has sometimes more viewers in the podcast realm. Which means it's time for Verbal Tap, the show that proves fighting is way easier from outside the cage. I'm your host, Kevin. With me, of course, Raph Esparza. Raph, it was a beautiful armbar set up by Mighty Mouse. I want to be super clear. How did you spend your Saturday? I was all day at ADCC, and I did not watch the UFC. Would you like to explain to the audience why I, Raph Esparza, did not watch a UFC that I did put on my DVR? And it still is there. I'll explain it to the audience and anyone that was watching ADCC. Raph was your North Star to the cool matches. He was popping around, glimmering with his camera, occasionally talking to people with a cool face like oh, the cameras on. I got to I got to Hugh Grant this. So there was a lot of debonair. There was a lot of hectic. There was a lot of. Raph schmoozing it up. He didn't even. The camera was a prop. People don't. People think he got photos. Not one. No, you were there doing press, and in this case, press is uh, Matt side taking photos, talking to people, getting a feel for what's going on there for the super fights. And as we were reminded several times by the announcer, good to remain on the floor. Did you have fun? It looked stressful, and I didn't once see you eating. I did slip away to eat, but I didn't eat a ton. Uh, my sanctuary came somewhere in the form of 11.30 p.m. in the guise of Carl's Jr. For those of you on different parts of the world, that's a Hardee's. And for those of you who live internationally, that's a delicious hamburger. It's a chain. Jeez. And it's and a double Western combo. Yeah. That means that they put onions and they put bacon in it and then they put two patties. Yeah. And that was enough to suffice this fat kid because my fuel for the rest of the day was uh, a two cliff bars and a large acai. I was just about to say, you know, you got you some acai. Well, the one part is they have the different sizes and most people get like the petite middle one. And I was like, nope, nope, nope big one please and they go they give you that look that's just like are you too fat to order this and i actually before we go on any further i guess i should tell you the the lovely acai story i have kevin perfect you know this is uh one first rap is quickly becoming a connoisseur of the tournament acai community and second this is something he's known for so let's just all pay respect to the hard work and Copious amounts of taste testing Raph has done. Proceed. I'm not sure what to do with that introduction. You've but even let's go been to the shamed <laughs> once while trying. You've been put in what's called acai jail. Well, it's not that I've been shamed. It's just that you Long Beach, time. the pyramid, has dumb rules about taking acai out of a certain area. Thus, we have dubbed it, hatingly, acai jail. On the other side, you can take nachos, and that shit could drip everywhere, and everybody knows that nacho cheese does not get out of anything, but yet, this acai purple stuff, whoa, whoa, buddy, hold on. We like our neon yellow, orangish thing, not whatever this purple thing you eat is. All right, so here's the story. Um, You guys know this. We are good friends with Rafael Lovato Jr., friend of the show, friend of the podcast, I happened to be uh, getting some acai, and uh, I happened to get it at the same time. His dad was right behind us. 
So I've never personally met Mr. Lovato Sr. Kevin, I met Rafael Lovato Sr. here. Wow. But I, I wanted to let him be and exist, so I didn't want to like rush up to him or do anything. But when it came time to ask for, hey, I need Rafael to come pick up his acai, and we both turn around, I was like, funny story. Nice to meet you. <laughs> My name is Rafa Farza, and I have this issue with your son. Uh, I He's know been you. He's on our show. <laughs> and your son. And I just go, you know, your son has been on our show like a million times. He's very good friends with us. But I have one major complaint with him, which is that he and I share a name. So that anytime I'm around him at a jiu-jitsu tournament and they yell out, Raphael, he and I both turn around. And then I remember, oh, no, it's the important one. <laughs> so his dad has a good laugh. And I tell him, like, you know, we consider you family. And he's like, you know, oh, my God, yeah, I've seen your interviews. You guys are so great together. Thank you so much for supporting. He's being so wonderfully nice and polite and everything you would come to expect from a lifelong martial artist who raised, uh, you know, arguably the best American practitioner in the world. And then right as we're closing, he like touches my shoulder and he just goes, hey, and one more thing, Raph, you're important, too. And I was like, don't do this to me here right now, Rafael Lovato Sr. So you had a nice cry mm-hmm. with Rafael Sr. Tears were welling up because he meant it so sincerely. And him and his wife were very lovely and they were so nice. And I was just like, I have to leave because I do dick jokes and I don't want to insult you. And this is about where you're going to realize I'm a shit human being. So I bid you a good day, sir. So I got out of there very quickly, but that was very lovely. And uh, anyway, so that's the, the acai joke and uh, story I have for you. But yes, as you're trying to elucidate, there are not a ton of opportunities to eat. So I was run- running on pure adrenaline throughout the day. Myself and Octavio uh, Villanueva, our uh, resident photographer, was doing a great job capturing shots. But I look on my computer and it says I took about 8,000 shots. And of that... Probably 12 are good. Damn. Uh, I saw at least a few of them, and they're good. And we're going to talk about ADCC. That's going to be the bulk of what we talk about. Raph was close enough to, at times, have to move to avoid the takedowns. So we're going to get into the winners, what it meant, uh, some of the fun. But first, we're going to start with, and and frankly, I think ADCC 100% dipped into your viewership here, uh, Fox. UFC fight night, Johnson versus Reyes. I watched the main fights. I watched what would have been a hush falls over the crowd moment when Jacare got knocked out. Um, You don't need to know much, but we all got super nervous in the first round when he took Whitaker down but couldn't do anything with it. It was like, uh uh-oh, is he okay? Well, next round got rocked and then got kneed in the head. And frankly, you're probably thinking, well, it's really hard to knock out Jacare. It is, actually, it turns out. After repeated blows to the face, now bleeding, he still like pulled guard instinctively, which I think is <laughs> a real good grappling goals. But the fight got stopped because he was no longer defending himself. So no longer putting his hands up, but still pulled guard instinctively, which I think is amazing. But fantastic fight. Got Whitaker, performance of the night nod. Namin Yunez 
chokes out Michelle Waterson after dropping well, a few healthy elbows. I need you to stop elbows. here because this is important to note. So Kevin didn't finish the exact part of the story, which is you messaged me. Oh, I was. Yeah, I was because you were actually doing coverage for once. <laughs> and I was very happy that you were doing work because you never do. I could see and you when I... you ignored my texts, you saucy bitch. By the way, I could watch it on camera. I was like, I just messaged him. And 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 what was the problem with that? What's the problem, Kevin? Can't check your phone while you're taking photos of people grappling. Well, yeah, dude, I'm trying to get work done. But you texted me, and I don't know how you're supposed to make me feel about this, but it said Jacare got TKO'd. Then I couldn't figure out if it was Jacare TKO'd. I couldn't figure out if that was your lack of use of the English language in constructive ways that I was like, does that mean that Jacare was the one TKO'd? I see. Or that he did the TKO'd? Yeah. So then I was like, um, no. Kevin knows enough English to get him through eighth grade. And by eighth grade, they should teach you the importance of verb and noun conjugation. But is it past or present participle? Ah, fuck. I don't know. (laughs) We're getting really heady here for Kevin. So then I just deduced. I was like, he got knocked the fuck out because Kevin wouldn't take on this tone. And then I immediately had what's called – Kevin, are you familiar with the movie La Bamba? Yes. You are. I'm familiar with uh is it no no no. It, La Bamba is starring what's his name? Damn it. I've seen La Bamba with his unbelievable white tux. Okay. That's pretty close. La Bamba starring Lou Diamond Phillips. Thank you. And yeah, Louis D. Important thing to know about this movie, because there are only like five important Mexican movies we make people watch. Uh, Selena is another one. But La Bamba is particularly important because at the very end, uh, Richie Valens' brother basically goes up to tell his mom that Richie passed away. And there's a very deep, like super good Mexican acted out scene where the mom basically looks at her son like, not Richie, not Richie. And it's like she's telling this to her son who's looking at her going, wait, can we just say like we feel bad that it's Richie? When you say not Richie, it makes it sound like I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> so we always like to laugh about that. But she like she's folding clothes and she's like, hanging them up to dry. And you hear her be like, Richie. And I had that same feeling when I looked down and saw your confusing text and said, <laughs> not Jacare, Jacare. And then I immediately jumped the bandwagon and was like, well, Damien Maya, it's all on you. Yeah. Uh, Donna that starts playing. It was a uh, tough moment. Even Whitaker ad- admitted in the post fight was like, you know, I feel bad. He just had that look like, ah, oh, fuck. Sorry, Jacare, you deserve that. But he also was like, you know, Bisping and I have unfinished business, and he kind of laughed. So really interesting, interesting Robert Whitaker moment. It was awesome. So that part was good. Uh, Thug Rose, Naman Yunus, beats up on Michelle Watterson. Gives her a little bit of what I believe we call the business. Elbow drop, choke. Sunk okay. the elbow in, finished it. It was aggressive. 
Waterson looked like she was like choking me out, but it didn't didn't help. So Thug Rose back on the map. This is a good fight again. That one, uh, those two are uh, they just throw. Even yeah. even halfway through a grappling match, which it was half grappling, half punching, and it was unbelievable. It was an awesome match. I just I felt like there was uh, a win that got taken out of my sails when I found out about Jacare. Um, but then I was a little sad about the karate hottie because she had an adorable set of videos that she was doing that got released of her doing a workout with a small child. And so it was like her like boxing with this little girl who's all of like, what, three or four years old. And I was like, oh, that's adorable. And then cut to the next day. It's like she gets like destroyed. And I go, well, it's a good fight, though. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I feel great about that. But you have to understand, Kevin, without working with much context and just getting kind of the results from you is just like, oh, oh, God. And then you realize Kevin may not stay to watch the whole thing because there's something going on that takes Kevin's interest. And I need to discuss this and I need to actually have a real conversation with Kevin about this. And I decided to do it on air because I, I, was, I watched all this thinking, fight before you start this. I, I skipped no, no, no. right past Stevens. Okay, but go on. You go on, Raph. I know where this is headed up right now because Kevin, when I asked, I was like, are you going to be watching? Because I realized I was going to be working so hard, dedicating my soul, my time, my efforts, oh, not eating. Giving so much of me. Having to, to settle for the, wait, the large acai bowl. Hold on. It doesn't work there, but mostly, yeah, sacrificing. I was sacrificing, you asshole. And I would hope that Kevin would be here for ADCC trials, and he abandoned me. And I thought, Richie, but I put Kevin in <laughs> Kevin. And he wasn't Sorry, there. And you know, I understood. But then I just asked for one thing, which was, I cannot watch the UFC. Kevin, will you be watching the UFC? What was your answer, Kevin? Uh, my answer was, of course. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might have come off a little differently. I might have said something like, uh, I'll be screening and screening it because the NBA playoffs start Saturday. Wish it was that better of a story in <laughs> retrospect. No. De- Kevin said, yeah, ish. And I was like, what do you mean, yes, ish there's no yes, i'm definitely gonna be watching some of them for but sure Kevin said, hey raf it's the beginning of the nba playoffs now mind you this isn't the nba finals this isn't like oh man this is a really big game that's gonna like decide the fate of how the whole series starts no this is month one of three of the nba playoffs kevin one of three how long uh, do they, Kevin? It's 40 games and 40 nights. It is six weeks long total. First of all, that's fucking Lent time, okay? <laughs> yes. They did that whole slogan two years ago, so he was like, isn't it 43 nights? And they were like, shut up! We bought all this fucking marketing ads. Take me 40 days. Where does 40 days leave us, Kevin? May 20th? 5th? Nope. We're practically in June, Kevin. Three months. Oh, you're April, right. It does take May, a little. Practically in June. Yeah. I remember as a child seeing see it go through saying. even June on some occasions. And you know what? Month one of three. Can't miss any of those games, Raph. They're all important. You're in the such law. a <laughs> schmuck. And I 
am just I'm seething on the other side because I'm thinking like you know if Kevin has a logical excuse, Raph, <laughs> you can't hold him responsible. Hold on, you gotta let him do it. Hold on, I was watching ADCC religiously for almost eight hours. <laughs> like I was addicted. So, you know, to get a little clip back and forth, I don't think people are. I don't think my arguments coming across is, I as I just, would like it to. No. That the like I said, I try to give you the benefit of the doubt a lot of the times, and I really and work through it. But this is one of those things. It wasn't unforgivable, and I want you to know how deep this goes, Kevin, because it didn't stop there. My sister was really interested to coming to see some of the uh, super fights at ADCC. Okay, okay. I mean, she's a genius. That's a good time to do that. Yeah, she was really excited to come see it. Do you know how my sister texted me? How? My sister, also a diehard NBA fan, texted me after I complained about you the night before and said, Hey, Raph, I'm so sorry. I came down with a case of Kevin. I'm going to watch the NBA playoffs. And I, <laughs> I want Kevin to know that he has become a phrase. <laughs> I came to the case of Kevin. So know that that really happened i have that text i'm more than happy to produce it for you but i think you're happy just knowing it exists (laughs) i am extremely happy that text exists but more specifically it was directed at you so twice in the same week somebody was like i'm gonna kind of need to see how utah (laughs) la game one goes uh before i commit to watching and and my sister was watching the clippers her yeah. team. Okay. okay. That's a little bit more understandable. Um, and a little bit more heartbreaking, if you know what happened. So I did see Wilson Reyes versus Demetrius Johnson, though. Go because on. this card started during the whole Bucks Raptors fiasco that, frankly, uh, the writing was on the wall with that one. Demetrius Do Johnson. Not. Sully. This podcast would talk of NBA. Continue. Demetrius Johnson is really good, and uh, I'm not a hater, but this fight was never... It was never... I wonder if Wilson Reyes is going to upset Demetrius Johnson. It was, I wonder how Demetrius Johnson is going to finish this fight. And the answer is, via beautiful armbar, though the strikes certainly loosened him up. Um, well, Hold on, let me bring this up. Mm-hmm. The okay, 135 total strikes to 18, and 108 significant. Either way, that's what it looked like. It looked like Demetrius Johnson beating the ever living shit out of Wilson Reyes for two rounds, almost three, and then armbarred him. Because if you get hit enough in the head, you know, hard to defend that armbar. Oh yeah. That it was all that happened. It wasn't a close fight. It certainly wasn't. It was fun. I mean, Demetrius Johnson. I want to see him move up to 135. I really do. I kind of want to see. It's like clearly this division. <laughs> there's no, no one's coming. I don't know what to say. Like it's not even close. This is number one contender. Kevin, did they at one point have him go in the octagon? Talk about his whole, like, he's doing great, maybe one of the best of all time, and then he proclaimed himself the best ever to step in the octagon. Yeah. Okay. How do we feel about that, Kevin? (laughs) 
I guess I'd feel a smidge stronger if I thought I could beat up the 135 pound champion. And I don't know that he can. I want to see them fight. I want to see if he's just too. Does super- that make a difference to you, though? Like, yes. if he does beat the 135, yeah. does that make a drastic difference? Yeah, it does to me. Why? I don't know. I'll be more. It's. It, this is the newest division. This is the youngest division. It's not unquestionable that we would be like, hey, you know, we've only been keeping track of this one for a little while. There doesn't seem to be that many promising people coming up within the 125-pound division. At least we haven't even seen anyone besides uh, Tim Elliott give him even a remote scrap. But if this one most recently was like the best fighter they have for him, it's like I don't. I think we're looking at this wrong. I don't think Demetrius Johnson is the problem. I think who he's fighting is the problem. We don't care about any of these fights. So but isn't not his personality league. as well? Like, isn't it like anytime he does try to talk shit or be interesting or engaging, he just kind of comes off as. Mm. I don't blame him for this. It's not his fault. They keep putting people that can't fight him up against him it's like let's get somebody that can then let's create a fucking super fight for this guy that is destroying his division and i think this goes back to shitty program management i think the ufc is bad at this i think they're right now in a talent drought and this most recent card as you posted beautifully on our facebook site you can find us at verbal tapcast on all the social medias ratings were massively down that's not the fighter's fault. Wilson Reyes fought his heart out. So did Doug Rose. So did Jacare. This was poor scheduling and poor matchmaking. That's who needs to be called out here. But that's the other thing is if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to see it, is Demetrius Johnson the greatest of all time? First of all, it's still porn in Utah. And second, no, he is not the greatest of all time. Not until we see we know that he fought someone who's worthy. Ugh. Okay, so we've gotten there. Okay, but he's now, great. He's great. Stop! You're you being so. You said confusing. he's the greatest of all time. I no. know, Kevin, but you're just confusing and like I'm not a hater. You literally started off by saying I'm not a hater. I think he's and great. I think you he's sprinkle used. in some old Kevin with some new Kevin, and old Kevin is the person who's like, anytime he's on a pay per view, I'm not interested. I don't give a shit. I'm ah. always interested in watching. He's rubber. Man, I don't like him. Then now you're like, well, I can acknowledge he's very good. He does and finish every fight. Right? He does finish, and he does have some really impressive submissions. I, I, admit, but, that. Eh. I admit that. Solely wrong. Unbelievable jiu-jitsu game, especially for in the cage. Now, am I wrong also that at 30 years old he's underutilized? I don't think I am. I don't know. I don't know if that's a new point that you're just trying to make or that you sincerely mean it. I, I'm I was to watching the fights. I might have been stoned. I might have consumed shrooms Wednesday, so I was in a reflective place, and I saw things differently. And it was like, Demetrius Johnson is super marketable, and anyone that says he isn't is wrong. What he's not is marketable when he's fighting people that we know he's going to beat. Okay, now I need to step back even further. You had shrooms on Wednesday that then had a lasting effect for his fight on a Saturday. Yeah. I mean, okay. I don't know how these things work, Kevin. Hallucinogens can reverberate within your okay. system for a few days. Okay, Kevin. I worry about you so much sometimes. All I'm right. Fine. I'm a moderate. I'm fine, Rev. Just, I'm fine. This was a chocolate situation. Everybody's <laughs> fine. So, okay. Were those the major highlights from UFC? Yes. 
Okay. Uh, Volkov and Nelson had a fucking crazy fight. Just a, a huge tall guy and a shorter fat guy hitting the shit out of each other. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Um, Maga Medoff and Bobby Green was super athletic. And Tim Elliott and Smolka were super athletic. Both went to decisions, went to the right people. Excellent. Well, I will get around to watching those fights. I just uh, couldn't. <laughs> I will. I just I couldn't. No, I was trying to decide if I was recommending it. That was my. Uh... Well, that's why I wanted to say, like, Kev, I mean, you know, it's unlike me to really say, like, let's do the show. Let's power through without at least trying to watch the fights. But in this particular case, I just I had no power. I had no will. I had no nothing. And I just said, no, no, I'm not. Whatever, Very fine, Jacques get him knocked out. I don't even fucking care. I had time. I was editing photos last night, and I saw it happen on my TV, and I had a moment where I would reached the apex of how much I wanted to watch of SNL, and I was like, well, should I just barrel through and just – and you know what I opted for? I opted to turn off the TV and turn on music because I said I can't deal in a world where Jacques Ray had such momentum and was so close. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. But guess what, guys? He signed a new contract with the UFC, so he'll be around for a while. Hopefully, he can build back the steam. Uh, I just feel like it's a setback for jiu-jitsu. But you know what's not a setback for jiu-jitsu? ADCC. And here's why. Now, before we start our transition to ADCC and why I feel it is so great, because we're going to have critical analysis of a lot of things, and obviously Kevin and I are practitioners who love this sport, this art, But I think it's very important to set this out outright. I was trying to explain this to somebody who really doesn't follow jiu-jitsu or grappling or MMA. But they said, oh, what's the event like? And I realized at its core, this is what I was explaining I was going to on Saturday. I said, well, you know, it's a really cool event where um, there's about 300 guys who are competing for five slots to go to the essentially Olympics of jiu-jitsu that happens once every other year and as i said 300 competitors fighting for five slots you realize what a harsh cut this has to be there are going to be a lot of sad stories that happen for practitioners who are taking it out on themselves way harder than they need to be because athletes aren't dramatic and definitely jiu-jitsu athletes are not dramatic. You would never tell that by reading their status updates that said <laughs> didn't go the way it was supposed to. So mathematically, statistically, numbers, people, it does not work in your favor to do these things. And yet every year we have many brave souls who go and do it and give us great matches. And so it does suck for them when they don't win. And there are people who go out in the first rounds that you're like, oh, my God, that guy's a killer. How did they do that? And then you later find out there are stories of those people who are murderers, great people at jiu-jitsu. And then there are some genuine surprises. So before we start any discussion on that, I think it's really important for the athletes to – if you are listening and you are a person who participated at ADCC, it is one thing to get mad at yourself. But it's entirely time-wasting to mope and be in that space because I can't tell you how many athletes go and compete who are friends of ours and either apologize or get in that like wallowing like oh it just oh, it bugs me and you're like I would just look at them and I'm like it's not my job to cheer you back up like I'm not like some sort of service clown that shows up but 
allow me to say, you do know that you're still good at jujitsu. And they're like, yeah, I am. And it's like, shut the fuck up. All of you guys are involved in this super amazing activity. And many of the matches, even if you don't make it to the final round, there are a ton of matches that caught my attention yesterday. And I think there are a lot of people we're going to be talking about. So anyway, that's my preface to all of this. Um, I know I was highly pleased with a lot of the stuff I was seeing. And even though I ingested a billion matches, I still was left thinking like, man, I could watch this all day. Like you put on jujitsu in front of me. I mean, it's fascinating to watch in any given context. So that is my preamble. Kevin, what should we start with talking about? Let's start with the 66 kilogram Ethan Krenlinston. Ethan, who everyone will know from his, I would argue, going to be the most famous clip of ADCC, right? Nope. You don't think so? No, it is. I'm just, I'm not. Oh, you don't want to talk about it. (laughs) He broke that kid's arm. (laughs) He had a Kimura set up. He applied pressure. Kid didn't tap. He applied pressure. Kid didn't tap. Broke his fucking arm. Hard. I was watching live. I watched every second. Everybody around, everybody watching goes, oh, like you could hear it on the camera. What you should know on this particular moment was Great. this was the match that I stepped out for Asai. So there was a little subsection where I was like, man, I've been here. I'm going to be there. I was ended up there for 12 hours. So I was like, I'm going to go get some Asai. And I swore even from the outside Th- this was of like the place. A I heard people go, oh, yeah, <laughs> you did. That's from two miles out. People were like, oh, I was like, you're Shit. still inside the arena, but you walked out where you so don't gross. hear everything. But so you definitely gross. hear the crowd respond in a way. Of, oh, and I was like, what? And people started telling me afterwards. And I go, oh, it's a good thing I didn't see it. And so the nice part was everybody tried showing me the video. And I was like, I don't know. I know what oh. I don't want to see. Then you had somebody who actually came over. Uh, Our friend Blanca shows me a still photo. Now, you can unsee a video because you know it's coming and you just turn away. You can't unsee a photo that's really close up. And she's just showing it to me like, hey, Raph, look at this. And I'm like, oh, God, no. Oh, that's gross. Why would you show that to me? It's like, oh, it's like a negative that just developed in your brain. And you can't. I still see it. So anyway. Disgusting. So, you know, the reason why this is so devastating is because I didn't see him, Ethan, do that to the kid. I interviewed Ethan later on so that you'll see a video go up. Now, I asked Ethan, tell me about your day. You would think that would come up. So I know many of you may have like this thing when you respond on the internet like, Raph, how come you didn't ask that question? First of all, I didn't see it. Second of all, I've just explained, I wasn't about to watch the video of it. And third of all, it's not my fault. It's now Ethan's fault because that was something that was significant enough to talk about and he didn't. So my journalistic uh, idiocracy is his fault on that one. (laughs) I've deferred all responsibility on that. Good. You thought that through the person that had the most violent finish. Let's talk about this division. Nikki Ryan takes a very noteworthy third, mm-hmm. um, having only lost to his teammate via points. Crazy yep. for a 15-year-old. You interviewed him. That interview is already available. Verbal tap. On the social medias. 
your teammate, our friend Eric Medina from Jean Jacques Machado and LAJJC, mm-hmm. the Los Angeles Jiu Jitsu Club, where you can bed and breakfast your Jiu Jitsu needs anytime you need to go to LA, check them out, and you can buy shirts, which you should do. Eric Medina fought his ass off, had an awesome first match. I uh, had a great second match with um, Brandon from Clark Gracie, who was a fucking beast. Brandon Walensky, who had some fantastic matches. But I'd like to point out. This division, um, Castile. I mean, there was so many well, people. Castile went out to 10th Planet on 10th Planet Crime. Yeah. Uh, who, he lost to uh, one uh, something. Kasanyo. What was that guy's name? <laughs> I don't know uh, this gentleman's Luis name. Kionos. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know him personally. I don't either. But his jiu-jitsu was pretty impressive, and uh, they had a close match. I, I saw a little bit of it. Um, I was in between uh, taking photos of, of that match. So I saw a little bit of it. But, the, I mean, for a while it looked like Marvin was really pushing the pace. But, um, you know, 10th Planet going to 10th Planet against each other. Those guys right. always bring it in their killers. They brought armies of 10th Planet people. So Eddie many. Raj was there, and he was yelling out conspiracies. Um, I think at one point he told somebody to go for the flat earth. I mean, guys, <laughs> I don't want to start conspiracies, <laughs> but I'm just saying those are things I think happened, kind of like the flat earth theory. Anyway, that's not important. The important thing to note here is um, with Brandon and particularly Eric's case, uh, Eric prepped really well for it. Uh, they housed Denny Prokopos. And if you guys haven't seen my interview with him, please go do that. It is on the Verbal Tap Facebook fan page. And we had a great interview, but the next day, one of Denny's black belts had his first match with Eric. So Denny had stayed at the LA Jiu-Jitsu Club, looks up and sees like, whoa, well, I guess wonder who uh, my black belt's going to go up. Oh, Eric. Cool. All right. Just stayed at his place. No big deal. They had a fascinating match. Uh, Eric ended up winning via decision. Then Eric goes into his next match with Brandon Wileski. And Brandon is a friend of ours. And I don't know if you know this, but I've never met him in person, but uh, we're Facebook friends. And it's hard to just look at somebody who's your Facebook friend and hate them immediately. And just be like, no. And then he has a great Clark Gracie entry for Oma Platas that Eric got out of a couple times. And uh, afterwards, I went to go tell him. I was like, hey, man, congratulations. Eric ended up busting him in the face. So he was bleeding in the middle of the match. And uh, I have to go up and apologize profusely, being like, Brandon, I want to let you know I was never rooting for you, but I'm really glad that my friend uh, is now fearful of you for popping him in the face. And he's just laughing. I was like, do I need to take him out back and beat the shit out of him? Because I'll do that. I have no problem with that. And he's like, no, no, man. You guys are great. We love you guys. And I was like, well, I like you again now. (laughs) I didn't like you for 10 minutes, so I hope you know that. Um, But he was a great sport, had a great showing. Ended up, I believe, losing to uh, Ricky Lulay, who had a great runner-up uh, performance yeah, to the eventual winner, Ethan. Yeah. We did speak with Ethan as well, just to reiterate that. So that interview is coming up very soon. We talk with him and Nikki about facing each other. And uh, we ask also Nikki to ask or tell us exactly what happened with the Braio situation. Because, Kev, have you ever heard anybody have to pull out of a match because of an intense warm-up? Um, no, but Dustin Johnson at the Masters fell down a flight of stairs. Does that count? It was like the night before. We're talking 20 minutes before the match. Oh, tougher. So, 
there are pictures that you can see of Braulio in a wheelchair. Uh, it's tough to look at. He was apparently uh, screaming and ca- crying backstage. And uh, we wish him the best, but that's it's one of the wackier stories I think I've ever heard. And it just so happened that we had Gordon, who was doing nothing, and I'm sure wanted to crack at Leandra Lowe. So there's that. You know what? I think we should mix in some super fights right into this business. All right. Tell me your thoughts on their super fight. Let's roll right into this. First, I, I'm i a big Braulio Estima fan. This was a 10 times more interesting fight to me. I'm just going to say it. As soon as they announced Gordon's fight, I was like, yes, I'm interested. Because here is my take. And I'm just going to tell you the whole thing, Raph. You can tell me if I'm crazy. Because... I'm a hugely Andre Lowe fan, but I've seen some things over the past few weeks that have led me to believe there are some really well-seasoned jiu-jitsu athletes that have no interest in, do- in doing jiu-jitsu, um, unless it's directly dictated by how they enter into the exchange, and maybe that's the difference. Maybe they're right. But I thought Leandro Lowe appeared to not really want to fight Gordon, and I was surprised because, frankly – seeing Gordon submit Leandro Lowe would shock me just with his defense and his passing ability. Mm-hmm. So I was expecting to see him pass, move to some good positions and put Gordon in some bad ones based off of position superiority <laughs> and just dominance. And I didn't see it. I saw him disengaging. And once again, and this is a huge pet peeve of mine. I saw somebody on their ass pushing the action and I don't understand if you're on your butt scooting at someone on their feet when they're at this caliber, what's going on? So I thought it was an awesome fight is the point. I thought it was really interesting. It was contested okay. by points, and I felt like I saw a points fight. I saw a fighter that knew he had 10 minutes not to give a shit, and Gordon did his normal thing, which is, I mean, fight me and let's do this, or I'll just keep scooting and trying. And I will say I was impressed when Gordon got up. I like that. He should do that more often. That's, Here's my take. That's my take. Okay. First of all, was very excited this match happened, like you. Uh, it's a different match because I think under the rules for points, uh, Braulio versus Leandro has a lot of excitement for that rule set. And it's a little wacky because of the whole ADCC like, hey, half of it doesn't matter. And then points. Yay. So they go all Chris Hardwick on us and uh, whatever. My issue is this. Leandro Lowe is very savvy and smart at playing the points game. So when he was recently at PANS, he understood the importance of disengaging as a means of winning. It is hard to tell an athlete what they are doing is wrong if it means win because we all know that every athlete values a win. There are some who value submission wins as the premium, but sometimes that's the only way to win, or at least that's the only way they can win at at that given time. And it's a terrible way of thinking, but it's the reality. And it's the reason why they don't want to engage in leg lock wars with Gordon. But I did find something very interesting about this match. So since neither of them could really necessarily prepare for it, I was proud of Gordon for starting the match standing up because he figured, well, what's the fucking point? Why not? And I had a belief that he wanted to do it starting, standing, because there were no worries of points 
But more than that, I think Gordon felt that he could beat Leandro Lowe's wrestling. So that's why he started pushing him and pushing him. And they would keep getting to that edge where anytime Gordon looked like he was going to get something on a very solid wrestling able, Leandro had a very smart knowledge of where his uh, ring position was at any given time. And that's when he would choose to disengage. Whether you enjoy that sort of thing or not, I still believe it happened, but it's part of the rule set that you're in. So that's problem number one. Number two, when they did get to points, some people were saying, and I, I did think you can make an argument for this. I believe it's Danaher and a couple other people were saying, you know, Gordon lost points when he was trying to go for submissions, which is the wackiest point of points. Like to me, it's like, how do you lose like points? It was happening all to... tournament though. But it does, and it, it's just – it is one of the detriments of the point system, which is why I get frustrated with it. So on that one side, it seemed very awkward that Lowe was able to capitalize off of some of those attempts. Having said that, Leandro Lowe held his ground and I thought was winning the timing of the most important parts of the wrestling exchanges because he timed a couple of those small takedowns really well with Gordon's lankiness and found that he had a much quicker entry to getting down and actually like kind of sweeping and knocking down Gordon a couple times. And I, I thought that was agree. a fascinating exchange. I couldn't agree more. It was, I was surprised we didn't see more of it. Well, like, because once they yell better, points, then everybody's yeah. like, whoa, hey, hold on. Points? Is that what we're doing now? Let's everybody chill. And uh, it was something that was similar between Gio's fight with uh, Fazzato and another it's, great it's fight. It's just what happens. Yeah, it was good. It Where? was very, it was very tense. Um, but I think you should know something, and I don't know if you heard this, and I don't know. I don't want to accuse anybody of saying it, but I will say it came in the direction of Atos when it was referred to, I believe, uh, Gordon that said, "Don't worry, he doesn't know how to pass." And I thought that was just really weird. Or he doesn't know a sweep. That's what it was. He didn't know, know a sweep because Gordon was trying to uh, get a grip on Lowe, who, who proved very evasive at numbers of times. But then Gordon started getting his double unders and had a really good body lock on him and was trying to work a butterfly sweep. Leandro Lowe just has really good balance and was able to do some really fancy footwork to make himself not sweepable. So, again... Would I watch that match again? Sure. Um, did I have a lot of confidence that Lowe was going to submit Gordon? Not a ton. At least not in 20 minutes. So uh, interesting, but props to Gordon for taking the, the match. And uh, Leandro Lowe and I think a lot of guys who love points have an argument to say that what they do is valid. But is it the most exciting? Ellipsis question mark. We asked. I was guys. just going to say, you're, you can see a difference between what's being preached at a place like Atos, because we saw that, and what's being preached at a place like 10th Planet. You can't see a difference. Sure. Whether it's right or wrong, there's a difference. The 10th Planet and the Henzo Gracie and the Death Squad is trying to submit people. That's what they're trying to do. On the other side, you do have people like Josh Hinger, who had a great run, I think made it to semifinals, ended up losing to John Salter, who had a fucking ridiculous set who i also oh, yeah we can well. we can go to the 88 kilogram category absolutely now john uh started off his run by going up against our dear friend josh hayden and they had a great match uh and josh uh went out to him in the first by three points 
And it was right then and there. I was like, this guy's pressure is good. And I started realizing, I was like, he's got wrestler base. He's chosen to go the no shirt angle so that he could slip out of just about anything. But that didn't even play a factor because he ended up putting so much pressure on his opponents that he was able to really dictate a lot of the pace on where he wanted to go. His jujitsu, also very valid, very great. And uh, one of our friends, uh, Vince, had put it to our attention that he would go far. Like Raph, he was telling him, he's like, expect to interview this guy. And I was like, well, we'll see. He better do good. And then he won. So Beat DJ staying, Jackson. Yeah, I'm not going to say that I was responsible for it, Kevin, but you can give most of the credit to the ability to be interviewed by me. It sounds like you had a big part. And this was an exciting division. Uh, You had some some heavy hitters. As you mentioned, uh, well, Josh Hinger was in this category in addition to Josh Hayden. So two violent Joshes. Uh, And frankly, they're just this is uh, deep. A whole deep division. Nicholas Haas had some great matches from Zenith. Uh, got to watch him play around really fantastic and fast for big guys. And I have to admit, uh, David Mitchell as well had a great <clears throat> David uh, Mitchell had a great day. Show. Yeah. He came up to me several times to be like, man, did you see that? And I was like, yeah, dude, it's going fucking great. And he's just looking at me. And uh, he was just he was on cloud nine, man. He was having a really good day. He seemed to be having a ton of fun. And uh, props to him, man. He had a really, really good showing. Ended up going out uh, to Josh Hinger, uh, who's no slouch. I mean, that's the thing I do like about Hinger. And that's why, as much as I dislike elements of points, when you do look at what people like Josh Hinger do or JT Torres does or even Galvo, like when they're on, they do make that passing look like an art. And that is always fun to watch. And I do wonder if you would have elements of their game without points. So I am always willing to concede that that element of it. It's just, you know, when you get to those points where you get to the ADCC style of wrestling, which is like everybody foreheading each other, and then everybody goes, all right, guys, it's coming down to overtime for four minutes, and then we're just going to kind of pick somebody. (laughs) Uh, Cheers. (laughs) And let's throw in a super fight. Let's throw in the super fight, Lovato versus Buchecha, mm-hmm. right here in between. Uh, we didn't get much of a resolution in terms of it was close. Buchecha got some position and takedown points, if I'm not mistaken, right? That was what the uh, and By the very end, I believe Lovato was trying to go for broke, and I think Buchecha ended up getting the mount. Oh, yeah, he absolutely did by the end. But specifically had secured with some crafty takedowns and some damn good wrestling. And fuck, that guy's huge because Lovato's huge and Lovato looks kind of surfer thin next to him. Mm-hmm. It's like those are uh, those are monsters. A uh, ton of ton of fun in terms of we got what we thought we would we got two guys fighting for top position and working to get unders and doing some wrestling and some really good wrestling and we saw some brief flashes of very good jiu-jitsu followed by both of them you know either or is hard to keep down so i think it's interesting i had somebody ask why was this the main event and i was like well look at these two on paper it reads as entirely different stories at entirely different times in both of these guys' lives. And yet it was still a compelling match because, you know, Buchesha was working really hard to try and get 
his game going on Lovato, and he's known for monstrous passing, and yet couldn't quite necessarily get that going. When the two of them were up, Lovato was coming up with very crafty things. And I, I, I have an interview coming out with him very soon as well. But I credited him when I did see him and I said, I got to give you credit because of this. When that match started, you brought the match. Like you started to be the aggressor and push it. And it made me realize. I was like, you know, Lovato may have realized. He's like, yeah, he's bigger. He's stronger. He's younger. But like this is going to be my fight and I'm going to dictate it from the get go. And whatever happens, happens. And when I asked him, I was like, what was the strategy? He was like, well, basically that. And I said, that is a fucking bold ass strategy. So for more of that interview, check that out on our YouTube page later this week. But I had to say, I think this match gave you what you guys wanted. Hopefully Um, did not give you a definitive finish, but it gave you two world class athletes who have a lot of respect for each other. uh, A really it was physical. I didn't know Buchecha got busted up. By the end, I went to ask him for an interview. His eye was all fucked up. <laughs> and his eye, like, his eye was, like, drooping down. And I was just like, oh, shit, he has the rocky eye. Oh, no. So he had a cut, and he's just, like, he was fine. We unfortunately did not get a Buchecha interview because um, they were closing down everything. Um, but he did grant me one. It just didn't get to happen because... Uh, of things back there. So we want to say thank you to him uh, for uh, almost giving us an interview, but we will come back to get him the next time. I, I assume he's going to continue being around and pursued by us all the time. So credit to him, credit to Lovato. Um, I have to say though, when they got into those flurries and those like scrambles, those were supremely exciting because Lovato was crafty and Buchecha was powerful. But yet when Buchecha, a big, big man, is working a heel hook. I was terrified. I agree. I felt your terror and thought Lovato handled it rather punctual, but compared to how I would have handled it, you know. <laughs> yes. I would have ridden my congressman. It's like I, I phoned a friend. I was like, Regis, and it did not go well. Richie! <laughs> But a, a, an explosive fight and a really interesting, I agree, because you can see sort of the MMA side of Lovato um, with the pushes and the strength, and you can still see some flashes of uh, damn. Yeah. Next time, let's all, uh, let's start from, let's start from the knees. I'm just throwing it <laughs> out there. I'm just going to casually. Raph, I want to save 77. I want to go up to 100 plus well i guess that's not what it is it's over 99 so i mean 100 plus one by hibiero casey hellenberg yes uh easily some of the most entertaining a smaller bracket to be sure but easily some of the most entertaining matches i had a blast with this division these guys are huge this is a big fyi (laughs) so if you get a chance, any of them, really. But uh, Eric Cole from Grindhouse is uh, very large. There was the guy who was just unaffiliated that was doing really well. He was another really fun one. Uh, check it out. Uh, for knee bar uh, win, by the way. Yes, a knee bar win. I did want to go ahead and say this. One of the things that was most interesting about him throughout the day backstage was he kept yelling out, I will not be denied today. And I kept wanting to be like, I think you're right. 
I think you you're Casey seeing was it, yelling dude. that. At oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I uh, I didn't know what to do other than just like let him <laughs> exist. Yeah, uh, you're right, brother. <laughs> Chill. Because we were, I was conversing with him and Nick Schrock, who I also have an interview with. And that takes us to 99 kilograms next. We will get there. But I did find it fascinating that uh, Hibero was very well represented in those two uh, sections for sure because they were deadly. And you know when it's really, really great is when uh, an association has somebody in the coaching seat who really doesn't have to move. Like Salah was just chilling there and being like, oh, okay. Um, obviously Nick was injured, got up to go make sure he was okay, came back to come help uh, coach again. But – there was something just really interesting about his approach. That big man going for a knee bar with such finesse and style and getting his wish. So when he did get his wish, he did yell out again, I would not be denied today. And I was like, dude, we know, we saw, we've, it's happened. So uh, did not get the chance to converse with him. Uh, the fates did not align at this time, but he is definitely somebody who was very interesting backstage. We got the chance to briefly talk, and he was very, very uh, big personality. So I look forward to talking with him in the near future as well. Absolutely. Uh, Nick Schrock fought admirably, mm. and that final matchup was about as exciting as it gets. But um, wow, was Paul Ardila fighting at a high level the entire tournament? Um, yes. He went through, again, another, just every single division was super tough, but you're talking about one uh, friend of the podcast, Travis Nawaza, mm-hmm. fought Kevin K.O. Casey, who went deep. Um, you had Anthony Perez from Checkmat. You had a uh, lot of really good people in this division. Again, it ends up with a Nick Schrock, Paul Ardia final. Nick Schrock beat, again, some killers as well, some badass knee barring on his way uh tough division congrats to ardilla i had joked with kevin but there is a great moment where yes we did ask uh nick about his injury he says that he is okay i don't know if i believe him but uh he explains the extent of his injury but he also talks about uh the fact that how do i put this nicely he when he was injured in that match and he was trying to fight through it, he looked like he was trying to, like, Mel Gibson throw his shoulder back into place. And he may have issued some regret on if that was a smart move during the match in our interview, but I'll let you guys decide that for yourselves. So that will be up on the YouTube page as well this week. Uh, women's uh, below 60, Elizabeth Clay, 16-year-old blue belt and sheer violence. Yeah, murders. That's amazing. In what was an awesome women's division. Some fantastic fights in the 60 below. Um, in the 60 plus, Tara White, who, fuck. She's nicknamed the Terranator, which I also really <laughs> like, by the way. Carlson Gracie, uh, she's a badass. Obviously out from L.A. After you guys and all your badasses. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to the 77, which ended up being one of the more intriguing storylines of the ADCC West Coast Trials. We have one more super fight. I thought, again, we see Geo kind of trying to really finish the fight, get in there and mix it up. And you see 
Uh, Frazado working those passing, not really trying to get too deep. And I will say this, obviously I see how Frazado won by points, but I think if we are altering the system slightly, and I think we should, if you can give points for something like a takedown, which at times in jujitsu can be sort of judgment called, you can give points for submission attempts, especially submission attempts that result in, in a defensive posture by your opponent. Uh, I think you should get points. And I think Gio, if he got points for his submissions, would have been up uh, about eight to four. That's just my guess. Raph? All right. Here's where things got confusing to me. We have an interview with Gio who came up short in the decision uh, or by points. I'm sorry. And I guess maybe I was saying decision because I had some kind of issue with it, which was in the interview, I did ask Gio about his opinion about being reset once you hit cement. Now, in my neighborhood, when you hit cement and you are rolling with somebody, I don't care how competitive it is. That's usually a sign that it's time to get centered back on the mats. Yes. Okay. Now, Kevin, I don't see exactly how it would play at home. But I am exactly as you're about to point out. (laughs) Well, I I I thought I don't know. You know what I'm thinking. I thought it was complete bullshit. The way they explain what happened from your vantage. Fucking Gio put Frazada in a very gregarious position where he was working on taking the back and working on a submission attempt. And as they got to the concrete. He was stopped. He let go of it. Frazado came up to the top like a wrestler's position, and that's how they reset him. And it was one of the many referee fuckwows of the weekend, but I would argue it was the biggest because it didn't make any sense. It was like, wait, you reset the... Hold on. Uh, so you could make an argument. Geo lost a very advantageous position, which he did um because the referee wasn't really paying attention or didn't care to correct Frazado, which is a thing that again the Atos guys are very quick to take advantage of those wiggle rooms because they're well trained so it was confusing for a number of reasons like i said at a certain point i went to go find uh, a table because i had been on my knees i had been in like butterfly stretch position taking photos every which way uh, of trying to get the, the right angles. So finally, by the end of the day, I found a table and I was like, I'm just going to sit here. This is where I consume my jujitsu. And it was flush right of the stage. So I just happened to have an angle where I couldn't exactly see what happened. But I can make some assumptions because I didn't have a great angle to it. I wanted to hear what Kevin had to say. But my assumption is this, without having seen anything. Why would you somehow lose a position when you had locked up a submission and then somehow get recentered back on the mats in that wrestler position on the bottom side. It just didn't make any sense. What made more sense to me, logically, is once you had reached the uh, cement with said you know submission in hand, that you would be like, okay, cool, we'll reset here. But Fasado got out of it and was like, okay, cool, I'm on top now. And it's like, no, 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 you got out because I let it go. Also, what the fuck? Fasado knows exactly what happened. But yet, we had a crowd that was very lively and seemed to be very encouraging of that and started to go and cheer it. My favorite moment was Eddie Bravo looking back at the crowd as they were cheering that he was going to get that wrestler position, Fasado, looking, then waving his finger, waggy, and be like, 
That's not what happened. That's not how it went down. That made me laugh uncontrollably to see Eddie do some crowd work. Anyway, I I was very confused. So that's why I wanted to get Geo. Geo, of course, explained his confusion as well, but took it in stride and understood that this is a points rule set. So he spoke very candidly about that in our interview. You can see the rest of it. Judge for yourself. I just want to make this very clear, which is this. When you do have points and you do have this, you will have that weird wiggle room. But as Kevin was alluding to, if this was the biggest fuck up, and I'm not even sure it is, I just seem to think that if you're going to be the referee for a super fight where there's only one match going on, you don't have the luxury of other matches going on and being like, ooh, did I fuck up? Ooh, nobody will notice because I'm on Matt 4 and everybody's been watching Matt 3. No big deal. No, you're the center of attention. We all saw what the fuck happened. So those points do become very important, especially if you do give him that position and Geo has to fight out of it, which they did let happen for a few seconds for whatever the fucking reason, and he took his back. He could have gotten submitted right then and there. They reviewed it and then opted to stand up, which is some bullshit, because if you're going to play by points, at least play by some whatever rules that you've constructed and make that fair. So that last part was just infuriating, uh, just for the mere fact that you're looking at and being like, well, if we're going to play within these rules, I want to see these rules be enacted for the most exciting match possible. And I don't feel like we got what that was. So my hope is that Geo goes to ADCC makes his corrections and gets to, you know, do it all over again because he had an amazing run the last time. So hopefully he can put it together and uh, give us some more fascinating and captivating matches and for uh, for Zotto as well, a super great athlete. You know, everybody wants to compete to win. And I guess if the referee's going to allow some sort of insane rules, it may seem like it's unfair to your point. But let's be very clear. What happened there was wrong. And I think that is fair to say. I agree. And that'll notice into the 77 kilograms. <sighs> I'm looking at a photo right now of the podium. I'm going to send it to you, Kevin, because I feel like this photo explains so much. And I feel like as you see what it is, you can go ahead and explain if you think it says exactly what it needs to say about this year's ADCC in that weight category. So as you see it right now, describe what it is. That you see on your side. Yeah. You sent it via Facebook. Yes. App. Awesome. That's fine. You no, can pull cool. it up. It's I'm heading that, that hard, direction. Kevin. I am looking at a picture of them on the awards ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, I am trying to, I'm just waiting for Facebook Messenger to pull this up. Yeah. I'm staring at the same exact photo from. Okay. It is Wagner Rocco with his arms up. It is a super pouty. And, you know, potentially rightfully, he's just so AJ Agazar really doesn't like this guy uh, in what was a fantastic division. Yes. It, really, the entire day. You had some really great early Jason Haydens. Um, but what I want to give a shout out to is how the fuck is AJ. Okay. We saw what happens when you try and fight the really good Kimura. 
how does AJ keep from getting submitted in that final round? I think AJ, as much as people want to dislike him, people are intrigued to see him lose. So that's number one. There is a Reddit thread that has 108 upvotes right now that says AJ is the biggest cheater there is. Hmm. The basis of it was, I'm here at ADCC, this is the quote, uh, and he won his match over Oliva Taza in the dirtiest, cheapest way possible. For those without flow, which is basically everybody on Reddit, BJJ, Oliver had an inside heel hook, which AJ defended by grabbing his sleeve, and when the ref stepped in to tell him he got his leg out, he then got two points by takedown, and headbutting Oliver, which is what got him the win. Later on, we can affirm Oliver did have a cut on his face, not like Buchecha bad, but like one that he kept like holding his head at certain points during the matches. So AJ was trying to be a good guy in a sport and trying to like raise his hand. The crowd was having none of it. <laughs> so it's a very interesting sort of perspective of what's going on between these matches. Some people will say that AJ's just bringing a very competitive vibe to it. Others will say, yes, he is plating, if not dirty, borderline dirty. So AJ naturally found his way onto this thread. I will let you say your perspective, and I'll kind of give you the greatest hits for it. Amazing. He found his way onto the thread. Uh, I will say, yeah, a few of those matches, that's kind of what it looked like. AJ had that look on his face in a lot of matches. It was like, I have no interest in trying to submit this person, so I'm just going to hang out. Uh, that said, you know, he also has a winning strategy. Again, he's been doing this a little while. He understands the point system. Um, damn, I can't believe Wagner Vroka didn't break his arm. I, I was so unbelievably impressed with both of them in that final match. It was like, I have a lot of quibbles with how at least both of them got there. Because, frankly, any complaint you have about AJ, you can have about Wagner pretty well most of the time. I mean, he does submit some people along the way, but he also does that same forehead-butting bullshit. And they both, that's why they hate each other so much. They have the same asshole game of putting their forehead into people. Well, maybe they feel it's like copyright infringement. They're just like, whoa, hey, buddy, <laughs> that's mine. Don't you I'm try the one that, that grinds shit. my head into people. That can't be you. Uh, maybe. But it was a... It was fantastic final it did make for a fun match <laughs> it did if because there was an element of these guys hate each other Wagner won via Wagner did win and he should have he won the fight for sure he had way more submission attempts Looked like he was bending AJ's arm I don't know what AJ is doing stretching wise but I want in because Me fucking do it looked terrible <laughs> in so many situations I think AJ should get the acronym of Houdini uh, ascribed to his name in some way because it, what he does in his terms of his escapes is truly impressive. So I think it is worth noting there. Uh, there are some people who do not still like him. So I will say, uh, okay, the first thing that I guess is of note, and I didn't see it the initial time when I looked at the Reddit thread. Do you know why I didn't see it, Kevin? Why? Uh, because Reddit has a thing where if it reaches below a certain threshold of negative votes, it actually, uh, collapses the thread and you can make it reappear. You just have to press a button. But I didn't see there was a response from AJ that said, why didn't you come up to me at the tournament and say this to my face? Two question marks, not one, two. 
So the guy then says, you know, my intention wasn't with this post to let you know you cheated in the match, but to talk about it. And I'm not hiding behind the internet, blah, 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 create a throwaway. I'm sure that sooner or later we'll be in the same venia again, which I think is venue or whatever. Mm. We might even be in the same bracket. It isn't that I'm hiding or scared of you. I just don't see any point on yelling and telling that you cheated on your face. That would accomplish nothing. As if like to go up to him and be like, hey, you cheated, dude. So anyway, the AJ response had negative 29 points. Oh. <laughs> just to let you know. Um, AJ then later explained himself. This is his words on how he was saying the whole thing about, I guess, slaps or, you know, because AJ gets slapped quite consistently. More than most. The reason why I want to bring this up is because we're going to circle it back to Wagner and why I think it makes sense. Uh, But AJ says, look, here's the thing. I make a living traveling around the world competing in jiu-jitsu and IBJJF, and that's a big part of it. Had I hit the dude back, got in his face, or even said as much as one word, the Federation would have slapped a suspension on me faster than I could have walked off the mat. I know it's easy to speculate and say what I should have done, but the logic had to set in. As much as it pained me to, I had to bite the bullet and walk away. If you wanted an example against a much scarier opponent than the one at the Euros Nogi, which, by the way, is the slap that was heard around the world. Yep. And that's what he's responding to. He said, look at the match against Jake Shields. He slapped me not once, but twice after I walked him down, stared it into his eyes and said, do it again. Same scenario, but no risk of being out or two from competitions. Okay. Well, I mean, AJ is kind of getting to the point of the art of what it's like to be slapped and explaining his perspective on all of this. But the reason why this is so interesting is – That had 26 upvotes, so people seem to enjoy that one a little bit better. But here's the actual aspect of why this matters in terms of AJ versus Wagner. Somebody said to me off the record, they said, I can't believe it's too many days that you see a match where AJ isn't the biggest dick involved. (laughs) And the reason for that is pretty straightforward because Wagner was doing this whole like evil villain in a movie or bad pro wrestler mocking him behind his face like obviously we get that they don't like each other but that he was playing up even more of the heel role to the point where he even lifted his leg as to signal he was going to sparta kick him again so i say unto you with this sort of thing oh i guess he was also blowing air kisses as well and all that other sort of stuff at the very the end, basic erotic grappling. <laughs> I get it. It's the uh, 50 shades darker <laughs> of jujitsu. The reason why it's just so weird is then at the very end of doing all of that nonsense, Wagner tried to turn face by looking over at AJ and extending his hand for him to shake his hand. Yeah. AJ said no. And I looked at this match and I said, you know, this makes for a compelling match because both of them are super talented at jiu-jitsu, but they're both equally terrible at being heels. And I think that's pretty apparent because all of us are like, do we want one of you to win? I think we just want you to like just do the jiu-jitsu and not be allowed to make any gesturing at all. Yeah, there was a lot of that. <laughs> it was like, who do I want to win? I'm because the other it. thing is, and we've interviewed Wagner, but his explanation seems to be, well, AJ's such a dick that it's okay. And I'm not so sure that that's exactly a great excuse either. I just think that it's the story he's gone with and that he's going to stick with. And who knows? The, it, everybody's so fucking weird. However, 
a fantastic match. So, you know, do we get all of that without all the soap opera drama? I don't know. But I'll tell you, I know pro wrestling when I see it. And this ain't it. It's not that good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, no, there's a little too much fighting going on, too, still. I mean, that's kind of a thing. There's just no actual acumen for showmanship. It's just a lot of people taking the like, well, I'll slap you, and then being like, uh, who the fuck slaps people? Jesus, that's so weird. <laughs> Uh, they do. And frankly, you know, they're working on it. Uh, final, final super fight. I think you closed that one off well. And it was a, it was, you know, again, fucking great match. But final super fight, Vinny versus Cyborg. This one went a little bit, I mean, kind of how I thought it might. Uh, Cyborg has the very good and strong ability that he has for a while to uh take dominant position over people and control it Vinny usually can get out of that he couldn't this time so funny story these two have had matches before and Vinny has beaten cyborg by submission twice so that's a very very big thing to overcome yet here we are you have cyborg who is older than Vinny and you would think that he has to recognize he's not going to have some of the flexibility that Vinny may have, some of the insane, crafty, and unconventional ways of doing a certain kind of maybe leg attack or submissions. And Vinny was definitely going for some of those. But I think the most impressive thing about Cyborg's performance here was he stood up with Vinny, held his ground, and not only held his ground, but then started to impose his game, which was the way to defeat Vinny. And he did so masterfully because when he had a little bit of pressure on Vinny, it became a lot. When it became debilitating, he was then able to literally climb on him like a monkey. And I say this because he says to us that he grew up in the jungle. And it was pretty apparent when he literally was just short of King Konging his chest while on top of Vinny. But – it was it was really fascinating to watch the really smart strategy that he had for Vinny and the way in which he controlled so much of the action and more importantly didn't give Vinny the opportunity to get back into the game. I thought that was where he shined the best. I agree and that's a tough guy to keep it's a tough guy to keep anywhere. Let alone I was I agree, and this is another of those fights it's like maybe not the most amount of action, but definitely interesting. And definitely some real points of uh, fear, I guess, because uh, anybody, anytime these two get together and fight, it's like anything could happen. You need to be prepared for that. Genuinely, these two, one of them could murder the other one at any moment. And that's what's uh, amazing about it. I had fun. I genuinely, this was this was fun to watch. This was a good one. And fucking Cyborg, so good and big. It's just huge is I think the best takeaway. And you were running around the floor taking photos. We've now talked about all the fights. What do you feel like you maybe glimmered being that close to the action, staring at it through a lens? Well, you definitely see a lot of the setups and how people, do and pull off certain moves 
And I think that's a fascinating area for uh, like learning a lot about jujitsu. I can't say that like, I'm going to implement this stuff and like I'm a genius now. I'm just saying like I saw it and I could have a giant respect for the guys who were doing it. Um, you do get a lot of privilege information seeing everything behind the scenes go down and how crazy things go and you know how organized things can be and then vice versa. But I think that one of the things that I'm always consistently surprised by is when you see the athletes surprise themselves. And I don't necessarily want to single out people here, but I really do like watching the athletes journey throughout the day because if you go to any tournament, you know that if jiu-jitsu was easy and predictable, we'd already know who'd win. And there'd be no point to do any of this. Then you'd just be like, all right, well, I mean, Josh Inger, you won. Congrats. Because you're super good. We knew you would. <laughs> but, like, obviously things come up and different people shine and it, it makes the sport so fascinating to watch. And the same thing happens in the super fights. You know, we really didn't necessarily get submissions in the super fights. But we had captivating things that you know, teach you new things about the sport, teach you new things about what that guy's working on. It, it really does make for really, really cool things that you can take away and break apart with you and your teams uh, come the following week. Having said all that, I still can't help but feel that as you watch these things go through and I get that lens and I start watching all the angles, you know, you could be watching one jujitsu mat at a time. But then if you're watching like two of your friends at the same time on two different mats, you you get really excited about all the possibilities of what it is that they, they do. So I guess what I would like to say in response to your question is, you know, the, the aspect of what keeps us a fan is so prominent even when you get up close and, and you get to see it that that intimately and that personally because, you know, you hear people talking shit to each other. You hear when 10th Planet's going up against each other, you see, like, it's intense rivalries amongst brothers and sisters. So there's a lot of high stakes there. But I think ultimately a lot of people who did compete end up going to up to each other and, and saying, you know, hey, man, that was a really good Kimura or that was a really good setup. You know, your footlocks are amazing. And uh, it was just – I don't know. I don't really know too many sports like this. So I know it's easy to get followed up with, you know, Braulio's hamstring went awry and couldn't do a super fight and Gordon lost via points and, uh, you know, uh, AJ and, and, and what's-his-face, uh, Wagner, uh, get into fights all the time. But there are far more compelling stories that I would urge you guys to go watch. So if there are some matches that really stuck out to you guys, please feel free to uh, forward them our way because we're happy to bring attention to those. And I ingested so many of them. I'm sure there are tons that we didn't mention here, but, you know, we, we tried have, our best. We, we only did. have so much time before, you know, it's like we should probably call it. A there day. were so many good fights. It was an unbelievable <laughs> weekend of jujitsu and watching the ADC tournament with the super fights still looming. And just all, it, it was unbelievable. The whole tournament, it really was. I, I really, from a spectator viewpoint, once you take the gi off, you throw in the time limits and the half and half, you get some really creative jujitsu, and that's what we got. But I'll tell you the weirdest story, Kevin, because I think it's important to tell this story. I'm ready. All right. So there was a dude who was wearing a gi the whole time, and nobody could really make out what his deal was. I saw that. Okay. When I see this gentleman... Wearing this gi, I don't know him personally. 
I don't know what his deal is. Obviously, it looks like he's trying to make a statement. And I took a photo and I was interested. I was like, you know, maybe I'll meme him. You know, maybe a meme that says something like, I don't identify as gi or no gi, you know? And I thought that might be funny. But I was like, I don't know this guy. So I don't really want to put him on blast. I don't want to do any of that sort of stuff. And I thought, I'll let him go. And then I thought, maybe I should interview him. Like, figure out, like, why are you doing this? Because I think it's a valid question. If you're wearing a gi in a no gi tournament, you can, Kevin, actually wear the gi in the tournament. Do you know this? I did not know that. I saw people wearing gi pants and was like, okay. But you can wear the gi. You can wear the kimono in the actual tournament. I definitely and I believe there's a weird way where I don't know that you can necessarily use it against your opponent, but maybe they can use it against you. I forgot. Sean Williams was explaining the rules and rule sets, and I get very um, in awe of Sean Williams when he's talking to me where I'm just like, you're just super good at jiu-jitsu, man. I don't know what else to say around you. I'm an idiot. And he's just like, Raph, so good to see you. And I was like, no, it's not, man. You know that. So – he explained to me, to me, and he, he said it's completely viable, and submissions can be made from it, but that's not the important part. So this dude did the opti wopti on us, and he started competing without his rash guard, without his gi. And I was like, wait, this seems like a jit. Why would you <laughs> like, Build tease us us up like that and not use it? And this gentleman, I didn't know him personally, but he made very uh, prominent gestures and people you know seemed to kind of not enjoy what he was doing so i felt a little bad for him and i was like well i don't want to interview him i don't want to make him feel weird but then he started getting really angry at the crowd because he i guess won a decision he should have uh that was close or that people didn't like and he started flipping people off and then he lost uh, a match against a really nice guy and then got really angry and started, again, flipping off the crowd. And you're looking at this and you're thinking, like, there are so many ways to play this. And I th- I'm sure he feels bad about the situation. But I think it was a really good lesson in, like, yo, we are a different sport. <laughs> and I don't know how to explain this to people other than, like, comedically, I wanted to kind of include this guy. I wanted to make him, you know... If he felt outcast, try and figure out what it was and, and talk with him. But I was like, no, I don't think that's what this is. And unfortunately, I think it's a cautionary tale. So if you guys know this guy, I hope that he is okay. <laughs> Check in on him. I hope he's of good sound mind. But um, for those of you who don't know him or don't care to know him or you did know him and, you know, not your bag or cup of tea or whatever, I will say this. I think it's an important lesson on how the sport views sportsmanship. Josh Hinger recently had an article. He said that he saw one of our recent podcasts, and he was like, yeah, I was watching your podcast. And I was like, with Denny? And he goes, yeah. And he goes to Denny. He's like, you were great on it. And I was like, you didn't tell me I was great. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I'll, I read one of your articles. And he's like, and? I was like, mm-hmm. It's okay for an athlete. You know, you had sentences. You know where to put a period. That's about it. But Josh had this whole thing about why is it that, you know, don't be a douchebag when you compete. And... I think it's really interesting that that article's resurfaced this week. But the reason why I bring it up is because of this. The one thing I've always wondered is, why do we have to be different? Like, in the NFL, they allow talking trash. Maybe people don't like them, but nobody really gives a shit and makes it exciting. But yet, when this guy was taking off his gi and it was really, really intense and people were getting really worked up, he just really rubbed the audience the wrong way. So, to our competitor friends or our friends who see this show, I would just say this. 
you know, the whole world is watching you guys. So, you know, there is a lesson to be said about how you conduct yourselves and how it, it can reverberate because that shit's telecast on TV. And if people don't know your story, you know, you just come off as the guy wearing the gi who's really pissed and flicking off the crowd and nobody knows what the context of that is. So it's maybe something to keep in mind in addition to our good friend Josh Hinger who wrote that article. Uh, having said that, you know, I still want somebody to explain to me why we have to be better than everybody else. Like, why can't we just be a sport? I don't know. <clears throat> so food for thought. I thought I would push that out there for you guys as we close the discussion. But that was probably one of the very few, like, womp womp elements of uh, sportsmanship. And an otherwise very cool, uplifting, great weekend. And now we know, Kev, a little bit more of what the ADCC looks like this September. And I am fucking stoked for it. Yeah, it's going to be pretty good. That's the uh, spoiler. And believe it or not, that's going to do it for us tonight here at Verbal Type. You got some UFC. You got some ADCC West Coast Trials. It's time for some shout-outs. Um, I'll start it. The Rays mats, Raph, are a game changer. Feels yeah. good to jog on, to get thrown on, which I did. Uh, some fantastic matches. We got some good Nogi Friday. Thursday was another competitive night. Uh, so massive, you know, shout out to Jubero and the half guard work. Will doing some great passing and submission on the Nogi side. That is going to, outside of my undivided devotion to flow grappling, going to do it for me. Uh, let's start off with this. Hey, if you guys like t-shirts, you want to get to be one of the cool kids, get your LA Jiu-Jitsu Club t-shirt from myself or the guys at the house. That's Drew Octavio. Uh, the other two, Joey, Eric, obviously our friends. Uh, and I want to give a big shout out to our good friend Octavio for all the great work he did helping me out with ADCC this weekend. Um, he's, he's turning into quite the photographer, not the good human or jujitsu practitioner, but, but I good saw him multiple times too. I was like, hey. Yeah. Yep. Definitely was uh, around being awesome. So there's Octavio. Let's also talk about this. Um, I am excited to bring this to your attention, guys. We are helping produce some uh, tournaments out here in Los Angeles, the first of which is going to be May 28th. It is the U.S. Submission Grappling League. I am a part of it, along with the guys over at the LA Jiu-Jitsu Club. And uh, our first tournament, May 28th, Sunday, it is going to be a gi and no gi competition. You can sign up for it at ussgl.com. That web address again, ussgl.com. We're keeping the cost low so that we want to make sure you guys get the opportunity to compete with us. It is going to be sub only with EBI overtime rules. So if you don't like, you know, what you saw this weekend or you have some training partners that you would love to see compete or you yourself want to compete and have more that you want to do after this wonderful ADCC weekend. Look for that. The website again, USSGL. Educate yourselves. If you have any questions, feel free to message us over and we will explain it thusly for you. I also want to shout out Valley Martial Arts Center. I'm very excited because we have discovered that Jean-Jacques is going to be doing a seminar Badass. in uh, May and uh, I am looking forward to it. I think it is May 6th. So something to that. We'll have more information. $50 for fee people from VMAC. I believe it's $60 to people outside of it. And uh, we are looking to have you guys come join us. It's going to be amazing. Uh, it doesn't do a ton of seminars. So you guys definitely want to get in on it while you can because uh, he normally travels to other places to do them. So my shout out to them. 
And um, I just want to thank everybody who made ADCC possible this weekend. You know, Sean Fowler, Mo Jessam, uh, so many people who were working behind the scenes, all of the athletes who came to say hello to us. There are far too many of you. Um, just to, I guess if I'm thinking off the top of my head, JT Torres, uh, Dave, uh, the Hayden brothers, uh, John Combs, all of you guys are amazing. Everybody who gave me interviews, thank you so much. We made so many new friends. We heard so many great compliments, Kevin, and I have to pass these on to you as well because so many people who were working the tables or walking around just kept stopping me and saying how much they love our show. And we hope you guys know it is reciprocal and we're just excited that you guys like what we do. We're passionate about this and we get excited when you're passionate too. So uh, on behalf of us here, thank you guys. And uh, obviously, uh, Blanca, Marissa Garcia, and so many, so many others um, catch all the interviews. They're really fun. I think you guys will enjoy them. I know I had a blast putting them together. So they'll be dropping, I think, almost one per day or something akin to that on our YouTube page. And, you know, Kev, I think that will do it with me. As I also say, one big shout out to my sister. We went to go see Hans Zimmer the day before and there's nothing like going to ADCC the day before there, for the trials than hearing the theme of the dark night play and then you just get in that dark and seedy place and you hear the Pirates of the Caribbean theme song and you see it he's like performing it like a fucking concert and it's oh it's so fucking great but I will say the only thing that made it a little weird is he's got like this rock element orchestra to all of his soundtracks to all the songs you know like Inception and all these different amazing scores he's made but do you know what he opened with? What? He opened with the theme song to Driving Miss Daisy now, if you don't know what that song sounds like, it's definitely like do 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 do. So there's nothing like going to like a big almost rock concert thing to be like, what did he open with? He opened with Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> yes. So we we were thoroughly entertained by all that. So anyway, my thanks to my sister for housing me over the weekend. I always have a great time hanging out with her, and she uh, was so helpful. And making so much of this weekend so, so dope. So that's it for me. That's amazing. And that's going to do it for us tonight here at Verbal Tap. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening. Good night. And Richie! Oh, I didn't have to be Richie.